0: Church, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see uh, a blue one underneath the chair in front of you. We would love for you to open that Bible up with us. God's Word is so precious. Uh, God's Word is so important. You need to make sure everything I say uh, corresponds with that Bible in front of you. Um, Double, triple check me, please. Mark chapter 10. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take that blue one to them. That can be your Easter gift to them. We would love to be part of that. Uh, We love giving those Bibles away. Mark chapter 10. Mark is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of the Bible. Mark is a gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a biography of Jesus' time on earth. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 it seems like we are all just about there. Would you bow with me? Let's pray over this time together. Father God, we we need you desperately now. Father, we we love you and we love your word. You have promised that the words that we are about to read together and we're about to study, You have promised that these words are, are breathed out by You. Father, You have promised the words that we are about to read are powerful. They, they cut to the core of who we are. Father, we know that the words we are about to read, we do not understand on our own, but Father, the whole, God the Holy Spirit must open our hearts to receive what you have here. And so, Father, we pray that for all of us here. Father, may you prepare our hearts. Father, may our our hearts not be distracted by worry or stress or bitterness or sin. But, Father, may we see clearly who Jesus is. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. 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 Okay, Mark chapter 10, in just a moment we'll be on little number 46. Big number 10, little number 46. Uh, have you noticed this? The big events of life always have questions attached to them. Have you noticed this? Uh, we have a ton of babies right now at church. And uh, when you have a baby, when you hear someone is pregnant, there's some questions that you must ask them, right? It's like you just have to, you can't help it. One of them being, when are you Dude, we have to do it, right? You just can't help yourself. You have to do it. Is it a boy or a girl? That one was easy. You knew it had to be a girl, right? Is it a boy or a girl? You have to ask that question. Or, what's its name? That's a big one. What's its name? And uh, I was talking with one of our um, newly mothered ladies. Is that how you say it? During brunch, and she said, You missed one. You missed one. When you're pregnant, everyone always asks, How are you feeling? That's another one, right? How are you feeling? And it's to the point where some of us, if we're not asked that, those questions, we feel kind of slighted, don't we? Like you go tell somebody, hey, I'm pregnant, and they go, oh, okay. Rude, right? That's, you can't do that. There are questions associated with being pregnant, these, big, these big events in life. And it's the same with big world events, right? The moon landing. Do you remember where you were during the moon landing? I don't. I wasn't born yet. But you might have been. No offense. Remember where you were. Or an even bigger worldwide historic event. Do you remember where you were when Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs? Do you remember where you were? A few Steelers fans in the crowd today, they don't remember where they were. (laughs) Big events. Oh, it's Easter. You got to you got to give me a break on Easter. Yeah. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> so big events come with big questions. And there's never 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 and there never will be a bigger event than what we are celebrating today. Easter is the biggest event that has ever happened in the history of the universe. King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ came down, left heaven. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto. Like, I'm not getting rid of all these things that I have in my God, being God. He said, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let being in heaven go. And I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to be the God-man. I'm going to walk the earth. I'm going to walk perfect life. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to die on the cross for my enemies, for sinners. He didn't just die. If He just stayed dead, He would just be another in a long list of false prophets that we have all throughout our history. But He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, we can trust Him with our death and our sin and our eternity. There's no event greater in the history of the world than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just like all the other events, this event today must come with questions. And I would like nothing more than for you to do me a favor today. We are going to be asking you questions. And these questions today will echo for eternity. We're not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to ask you to stand up. But what I would like for you to do when we ask these questions, let's don't play games with God today. Let's don't play games with Him. Let's answer these questions in our heart. Let's make sure that no one walks through these doors and goes home wondering where they are with Jesus Christ. Can you do that for me today? So let's be honest with ourselves today. Let's read together one of, I, I, one of the most touching passages in Scripture to me. Let's read together and let's ask ourselves these deep questions of God. Let's read Mark chapter 10, big number 10, little number 46, goes like this. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, get this. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Wow, I love that story. I love that story. So the picture, we, we, we need to get in our mind. We need to see Bartimaeus. We need to, we need to see what he looks like. We need to feel what he's feeling. To be a blind man or a blind woman in the ancient world meant that you were cast off from society. You were no good to anyone. Your very life, day to day, was so dependent only on the generosity of people who looked down on you. So Bartimaeus, perhaps probably born blind, his entire life spent sitting outside this big city of Jericho, begging, please, please give me something that I can use to eat. Please, out of the kindness of your heart, please. Would you please, could you spare some coins? Day after day, night after night, all he had in his entire life was a cloak. He had his clothes on his back and he had a cloak. And blind men and women, as they're begging on the side of the road, they would spread their cloak down and they would either sleep on it and then sit on it as they're they're calling for people to, to throw them coins. Or maybe they would put the cloak on their lap. You know how, you know how people will put a hat down in front of them as, as they're begging and people will throw? That's kind of the idea in their lap and they're just begging every passerby, please. you have in your mind Bartimaeus and scraggly, my mind's scraggly beard that goes down to here, long, ratty, greasy hair, clothes, just smelly, missing teeth, frail. My, my picture, I'm just sitting and just shaking, you know, just that frail. Who knows how old he is? But it's not just his physical appearance. It's not just his, his deformity or, or, or whatever, however he came about to be blind. It's not just that. The, the, the biggest problem that he is facing is he has been told his entire life that he was born blind because God hates him. He's born blind because of some curse that God has put upon him. Maybe it's his own sin somehow. Maybe it's a sin of his parents, his grandparents. Who knows? But as people walk by him, especially the religious among us, they look at him on the side of the road, nasty, smelly. They say, he fits the bill. He looks like someone who's cursed by God. He is. And our temptation Do you feel it as you walk by him in your mind's eye? Can you feel it? The temptation to go, boy, I'm sure glad I'm him. I'm not him. I'm sure glad I'm me. I'm sure glad God loves me and I'm not like that guy. Jesus encountered this idea that that blindness and illness is a Curse from God. There must be some hidden sin that somebody's doing to make you sick. He encountered this in this exact situation where somebody comes to Jesus and they say, this blind man here, Jesus, who sinned? This blind man or his parents that he is blind? And Jesus says, this is not how it works. How, What, what kind of mental scarring has been done to this man to hear his entire life? You're blind because God doesn't love you. What does that do? I can hardly take a critical word from somebody, much less that your entire life. And so to hear that you're cursed by God and even worse, it's like the... the His terrible situation keeps piling up worse and worse and worse things. He is cursed by God, but he can't read. So he can't read the word of God. He cannot read the Torah, the Old Testament. He cannot read the Ten Commandments. He cannot meditate on the Psalms. He cannot do the things that good Jews are supposed to do to be right with God. He can't read about the Messiah that's going to come and deliver people from their sins. He can't read. So he is hopeless and helpless even before God. His blindness, his filth is just evidence. It's just a visual reminder and a visual sign that this man is hopeless and helpless. And so, what Mark wants us to do and what all of Scripture compels us to do is that as we read this passage, we are not just to see a a compassionate Savior. We are to see ourselves as Bartimaeus. We are to see ourselves as the blind man. Not just the blind man. We are to see ourselves that we are worse off than the blind man. As we read Scripture, we see ourselves as Jesus teaches us and as we understand who God is and who we are, we are to see Bartimaeus and say, I wish my biggest problem was blindness. Broken eyes. I wish my biggest problem was just broken eyes. What Scripture tells us is we are desperately sinful that we are the nasty, dirty, filthy, broken, blind man on the side of the road. That we are under a curse from God for our sinfulness, blindness, eyes. Scripture starts with our feet. Romans tells us, our feet are quick to shed blood. That means our our when we encounter someone that we don't like or that we disagree with, Scripture tells us that our feet are quick to jump up and do harm. Don't we know this to be true? Don't we know that under the right situation and the right circumstance with the right people, we will do incredible harm? Maybe you won't swing a fist, but maybe you'll gossip. or slander, or curse. Let's move up. Let's move up. Our feet quick to shed blood. Isaiah says that we, our knees, are so easily afraid. Our knees buckle and shake because we are cowards. Let's move up. David says... Oh, I wish, I wish it was just my eyes. David said, because of my sin, my bones, my very bones are wasting away. Do you feel that? As you deal with the pressure and the stress and the worry and the guilt of your sinfulness, you feel like, you know that feeling, I know that feeling, where your sin is just so heavy that it feels like your very bones are breaking. My eyes, I wish it was just my eyes. How about this? Philippians 3 says, our end is destruction, our God is our belly. I just want to take everything in the world and just shove it in. Yeah, food, but also money. I want money. I got this big hole in my belly that needs to be satisfied and I'll use whatever means necessary. That's my God. I'm trying to fill it. Eyes, I wish it was just my eyes. Jeremiah 17 says, My heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Our mouth. Romans 3.13 Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Our tongue James 3, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. How often have we seen that to be true? Has your tongue proven to be unrighteous this morning? Yesterday? Absolutely. As we continue up, what about our mind? In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I wish I was just dealing with blindness. But from bottom to top, top to bottom, front to back, Scripture tells us that we are all desperately sinful and broken. And it gets worse than this. Scripture tells us that the production, the evil, the production of our feet and our knees and our bones and our bellies and our hearts and our mouths and our tongues and our minds, the production that comes from our sinfulness, the wickedness that just spews out of us, separates us from the kingdom of God. Listen, God is so holy, so righteous, so just, He doesn't He will cast out evil and evildoers from His kingdom. And He does that because He loves His people. Don't you want to live in a community in a world where there's no evil ever? Do you want to live there? Guess who you need to get rid of to make that happen? Me. Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God if only I was dealing with blindness. Jesus tells us that if we truly understood the depths of our sinfulness, if we understood the fires of hell, if we understood the joy that it is in the presence of God, if we understood how good the new heaven and new earth will be, we will do anything to be made right with God But we play games, don't we? We pretend that we're not that blind beggar on the side of the road to God. We we pretend. Jesus says it this way. We're so broken. We We should understand how broken we are. He says it this way in Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, what should we do? Tear it out. Do you realize that you and I, we are worse than the blind beggar? Now as Bartimaeus sat year after year after year after year, what seems to have happened. Now no one took him to the temple. No one took him to the synagogue. I mean, he was just a lost person. But you still pick up things In Israel, what seems to happen is Bartimaeus knew at least a little bit of scripture. And maybe as a kid, he heard that a Messiah is coming. Maybe a a very pious and righteous man walked by Bartimaeus one day and threw him some coins and said this verse to him out of the goodness of his heart. Maybe he taught Bartimaeus this. Isaiah 42.6, I, the Lord, have called you, Jesus, the Messiah, I have called you for a righteous purpose. And I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you up and appoint you to be a covenant, a promise for the people and a light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind. What would he have done with that verse? Blind Bartimaeus would have gone to sleep thinking about that verse, would have woken up thinking about that verse, would have been praying that verse. It would have been on his mind every single day. Am I right? He'd be praying, God, may I see this man. And Jericho's a big city. And Jericho's near enough to Jerusalem. And then one day, One day he starts hearing rumors about this man named Jesus. You remember, we talked about last week, you remember, the whole world is coming to see Jesus. That's how popular he was. The whole world has heard about Jesus. Everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in the country has heard about Jesus. So one of these days, Bartimaeus starts hearing whispers and rumors that this man named Jesus is doing incredible things. He's feeding 20,000 people from nothing. Nothing. He teaches, unlike anyone else, he teaches with authority, like it's his words. He casts out demons. He makes the lame walk again. He raises people from the dead. And one day Bartimaeus heard, hurt and he has given sight to the blind. What must that have done to Bartimaeus? What were his prayers like after hearing that? Is it in desperation as he prayed to the Father, Father, may I please meet this man? But he's on his mat. He has no hope of going to find him. But what he knows is this. He might have no hope in getting up and finding him out there, but he knows that Jesus is his only hope. He's his only hope. What he wouldn't have given to spend five seconds with Jesus. And then one day, it's Passover and people are coming through Jericho to go to Jerusalem. and So there's big crowds. It's probably a big day for him. He's probably getting coins in his, on his cloak and on his lap. And he's probably, thinking, it's a good day to be a beggar. And he starts hearing the murmurs, this big crowd coming through Jericho, and, and they're about to pass through the gates. and as he's begging, "Please, man, please give me some, give me some coins, please." As he starts begging, he starts hearing the name Jesus. He starts hearing the name Jesus like he's there. What does that do to his heart? I would start wondering, have I missed him? Is he, is he already up front? Is he right in front of me now? So knowing that Jesus is his only hope, this blind beggar in the midst of this crowd starts crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Can you feel his desperation? Jesus, have mercy on me. He didn't know where he is. Jesus, have mercy on me. And the crowd of pious, pompous, religious people. Shut up, man. You're so you're a blind beggar. Don't you know that Jesus is important? Being loud. Shut up, man. They rebuke him. Silence yourself. But what does that do? He knows that Jesus is his only hope. It just makes him scream louder. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. In his desperation, he does all that he can do. He cries out, have mercy. Have mercy. I know I don't deserve it. Please give me mercy. Do you know that Jesus is your only hope? Do you know without Jesus, you will go to sleep one day in your filth beside the road and you will not wake up and you will die in your sins and be be under the curse of God forever in hell? Do you know that? Do you know Jesus is your only hope? That he took the punishment. He is big enough and strong enough and righteous enough to take your sins and put them on his own back and climb up on the cross willingly to die and take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. To drink the cup of the wrath of the holy God for sinners. Do you know that? It's your only hope. You can't drink. You can't drink it yourself. You drink it in hell or Jesus drink. You know Jesus is your only hope, and you know He died, but He couldn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell for all who call upon His name. Do you know He's your only hope? You are not your hope. You cannot be good enough. Isaiah the prophet will tell us. Talking about stinky rags. Isaiah the prophet will say, even our best efforts are filthy rags to God. We cannot be good enough. If you're hoping that at the end of the age, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds, you're lost. You're hopeless. Peter says it this way in the book of Acts, there is no other name by which we must be saved. No other name. Not your name, not mine. Jesus is our only hope. And then we get maybe the most beautiful few words in all of Scripture. He says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. Nobody stops for blind Bartimaeus. Nobody stops for him, much less the King of kings and Lord of lords who hung the stars in the sky, much less the King of kings, the perfect Lamb of God. He's got things to do. He's going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of his people. He's got things to do. And he stops. Do you understand that Jesus will stop for you? If he stops for blind Bartimaeus, he will stop for you. You're not too sinful. You're not too broken. You're not too far gone. He will stop for you. That's good news. Bartimaeus. He called... you can almost see that. I mean, this is how this is in my mind's eye. This is how it happens. Maybe Peter goes and talks to Bartimaeus. Call Jesus says, call him. He goes and says, All right, dude, get up. You stop, you stopped him. Here we go. Get up. Take heart. Go get him. And what must that be like? We get the picture that he takes his cloak, everything he has in the world, all the coin that's with it. He casts it off, springs up. He says he springs up and finds Jesus. What must that be like? He can't see. He's in and out of the crowd. Jesus, son of David, where are you? Jesus, son of David, where are you? He gets to him. And he has cast off, Mark wants us to see, he has cast off everything that he has in life. And he does so with joy. He springs up. And that is the nature of the kingdom. Jesus says over and over again, to lose everything and gain the kingdom is an incredible bargain. Do you know how valuable Jesus is? Is Jesus valuable to you? If you say no to that, you are not a believer. Jesus is so valuable, it will be a joy to trade your whole life for a moment in his presence. Well, Jordan, come on. It's just a dirty cloak and some, a few coins. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids. I've got cars. I've got a boat. I've got a 401k. I've got a business. I've got an education. I've got friends. I've got a reputation. He just threw away... Scripture begs us to understand our lives in this way. In the light of eternity and in the face of Jesus Christ, everything we have and everyone we know is a filthy, dirty rag. Every relationship we have in comparison to our relationship with Jesus. Everything we own is destined for the dump. Are you with me? We will watch everyone we know die unless we die first. Are you with me? The most tremendous relationship you have on Earth, the most God-given, blessed relationship it's about, it's going to end. In a hundred years, every person in this room will be utterly forgotten. No, you don't have more in life than blind Bartimaeus. So what we must do and what Bartimaeus does, and he only only understands partially, but what we can understand through God's word is how valuable Jesus is. Don't hang on to your coins. Give them up for Jesus. Jesus offers eternal life forever increasing joy. Every day you are with him in his presence, you will find more and more joy. Amen. That's worth giving up your life for. Amen. You give up your life for a new heaven and earth filled with beauty and adventure. Listen, we get this, I just saw a cartoon, a uh, far side cartoon, where some, some dope is sitting on a cloud in heaven. He's got the wings, he's got a halo, and you can just tell he's bored, and he goes, I sure wish I would have brought a magazine. You know the feeling? That's what we say, that we're going to strum some harp on a cloud forever. That's not the new heaven and new earth. Everything you enjoy about earth now, you're going to enjoy to the nth degree. Don't exchange that for some trivial coins. An eternity, an eternal kingdom without tears or illness or sin or death or blindness forever. Don't keep your coins. Exchange them for the kingdom of God. An eternity of such wealth that is yours, Christian. An eternity of such wealth that the streets are paved with gold. Why does the Bible use that imagery? He's saying what we find so precious, the most precious thing is so common in the new heaven and the new earth, it's used as paving stones for our feet. Don't hang on to your coins. Jesus offers acceptance, love, and friendship with God and his people, the likes of which we could never even imagine here. We are fools to cling to what we can't keep when eternity is offered us. So he makes his way through the crowd. He he finds Jesus. He's in Jesus' presence. I mean, he can't see him. He can't see him. He's got to trust that this is Jesus. And he comes to him, and listen to this. The creator of the universe says, what do you want me to do for you? What would we all give for God to ask us that? And the blind man said, Rabbi, same word for rabbi, rabbi means teacher, but the same word can be master. Master, let me recover my sight. Listen now, he says that, let me recover my sight. As in Jesus has his sight in his pocket. That's the kind of idea, right? That Jesus, this is up to you. I have no business commanding you. I have no business asking you. Please let me, allow me to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. We are saved by grace, free gift, through faith alone. That's what Mark wants us to see. And Jesus and Mark through Jesus' mouth, Jesus through Mark's pen, better way to say it, He uses the Greek word there for well, sozo. Sozo can be used to say well and it's the same word to say saved. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? His blindness and our salvation are on display here. You are saved by faith, Bartimaeus. And everyone watching that unfold has no question in their mind that that man sees only because of Jesus' grace. He didn't do anything to deserve that. He didn't do anything to, to earn it. He is saved by faith through God's grace alone. If you miss this, you miss Christianity. If you miss this, you're going to be running after Jesus with some huge burden on your back. You're never going to find joy in Jesus. You're never going to find Jesus. If you think you earn it, you're not gonna find it. Scripture tells us, let me read most most clearly, most clearly spelled out. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is a verse, tattoo this one to your forehead, right? This one we gotta think about, preach ourselves every day. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast we are saved by trusting Jesus. We are saved by calling out to the Savior of the world as He passes by us calling out, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you trust Jesus alone? Are you trusting yourself? Are you expecting you're a good guy? Your goodness is going to outweigh your badness and you will be saved. Are you expecting that? That is not how Jesus works. This is how he works. Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Jordan. Blind Joey. Blind Mallory. I offer salvation. Trust me and receive eternal life. Once we trust Jesus by faith, we'll see the Holy Spirit begin to produce evidence of that faith. And the Holy Spirit's doing things in Bartimaeus that we, we can't even see, and he's been doing it for days, because the Holy Spirit's producing in Bartimaeus a desire for Jesus. Open the eyes of his heart. Remember, he can't read Scripture, but there's, he's apparently caught enough Scripture to know that Jesus is someone special. And so the Holy Spirit's opening his eyes to who that is. When Jesus comes by, the Holy Spirit empowers this, this man to cry out for salvation. We see faith working in him already and then Mark wants us to know when you have faith in Jesus, you will follow him. You will want to be with him. You will want to not let him leave you. You're going to do what he says when he heals you of blindness. You're going to follow him to Jerusalem. That's what we see. Jesus says, go on your way. Well, my way is your way, Jesus. Jesus. I think about the next few days and weeks in Bartimaeus' life. He's following Jesus, sees him die on the cross, and be raised again. So here's the question that we end with. And this is what Mark wants us to ask ourselves: Are we following Jesus? Those who have faith in Jesus, follow him. I'm going to read it to you. The end of this goes, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. We might have a play of play at words here because the book of Acts tells us that Christianity in its infancy stage was called the way. Maybe a play on words, I don't know. Follow Jesus. The faithful will follow Jesus. So here's a question for you. Are you following Jesus? Do you call yourself a Christian, but you're still sitting on the side of the road? Are you following Him? As the worship team comes up, I'm going to point you to one more thing. Are you following Him? My friends, brothers, and sisters, Friends and neighbors, strangers, are you following Jesus? There were countless people in Jericho who looked out their window and saw Jesus passing by. And they let him go. There are other beggars on the road who heard Bartimaeus, who saw what was going on, who saw Bartimaeus receive sight and go, and they let Jesus go. What were they thinking? Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, strangers, Jesus, today, the day of all days, where we celebrate Him rising from the dead, He is before you now offering salvation. Amen. Do not sit back down. Do not let Him go. Follow Him. Follow Him. We're going to sing a song together. And please listen. This song is its amazing. Bob picked out the songs. He didn't know what we were doing here. This is Bartimaeus's song. During this song, Jesus is before you offering salvation. Follow him. Do not let him pass you by.